listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Um, I'm going to show you something. So check this out. I was yesterday, I was just praying and getting ready, and I was getting ready for the service in, in the morning. And uh, as I was getting ready for the service uh, yesterday morning, and I was praying, the Lord just started showing me some things, and I was writing them down. And, um, you know, I didn't know what it was. You know, I was kind of just putting these things in to my notes and my phone. And uh, as I was praying about it, and as I was writing down what God was giving me, he started to reveal and show me that this is truly what you saw in the title. This is like the victory tribe culture, the philosophy of the culture of the victory tribe. And he literally gave me nine things. Didn't give me 10. Like I was looking for a 10th, like Lord, is there a 10th thing like to round it out and make it? He didn't give me a 10th thing. And so I wrote down nine things that God gave me in prayer yesterday that uh, define the victory tribe culture and uh, and our ministry, our ministry culture. I'm going to share them with you. And I ended up, to be honest with you, uh, I believe, you know, after I was praying, got this from the Lord, I truly believe that this is so important and so powerful that I'll probably write some sort of a book that encompasses and explains all nine of these. And probably it'll end up being some sort of a handbook um, for people that help us or something, but it'll, it'll be something that'll, uh, not only build your faith, but show you why this philosophy or this strategy is so important. It's a, you know, culture is an interesting thing. You know, if you have a culture in your corporation, culture in your church, a culture in your own personal home, the reason is because it defines how you act in certain circumstances. That's what your culture does. Um, this is, you know, if you ever heard somebody say, this is who we are, this is just, this is just who we are. It's the culture that they're referring to that defines what they do in situations. You know, it's like, oh, have you ever, uh, I've, I've had people ask me like, have you ever seen like a Mexican wedding or have you ever been to, you know, a Jamaican church or, you know, it's like, what is, what's different about it? Well, the obviously culture defines the differences that we have, you know, this culture does it this way. And if you've ever, I've heard people say, if you've ever been to like a Mexican wedding or if you've ever been to like a Jamaican revival or, you know, things like that, they're saying that because not all cultures are the same. Not all uh, react the same, do the same things. And so culture is important and it can define you. You know, there's a big difference between uh, what some people do in certain situations. Some of it might be very boring. Others, it might be very exciting the way they do certain things, but it's all, they grew up knowing that. So what defines it? Like you, you come up in that culture and you learn those ways. They become your traditions. They become, uh, you know, the, the, the methods or the parameters of your life, right? Well, why do you, why do you do those things yourself? It's because you grew up seeing other people do them. You grew up seeing other people do them. It was all around you, right? Um, there's something I think with the, uh, if I'm not right, uh, Cotto, look, you can tell me about this, but I think, I think this is true in almost all Latin American, um, cultures, but when a young lady turns 15, they have something called a quinceanera. Is that right? And that's like a celebration of 
someone becoming like coming into womanhood, I'm guessing is basically what it is. And do pretty much all Latin American cultures have that? Yeah, pretty much. So a quinceanera, which I've seen, is like a celebration. Well, obviously, my culture does not do that. You know, we don't do, and that's when they turn 15, right? 15, they have the party. It's like a big deal. Right. But but one but one year earlier. So that would be like what we would know. Like many of you watching, you've probably uh, heard the term, or maybe you even had a sweet 16 uh, party for when your a daughter turns 16 years old. Well, that's what that culture does. Whereas in the Latin American culture, it's a quinceanera. So it's like different, but the, everything's different in different cultures. And so what is it? It's what you grew up in. It defines you. It becomes your tradition. It becomes what you, it's like standard operating procedure, right? It's standard operating procedure. It's just like, you know, if this happens, then we're all going to do this. Cause that's how we, that's how we do in our culture. When you have those, they're very powerful. You know why? Because the the stronger they become, the stronger that the culture becomes, um, the more the less you have to think about those things. I guarantee you that there's nobody um, in the Latin American culture if they got a girl that's growing up that she's getting ready to turn 15. Nobody has to have a discussion. It's like, well, is she going to have a quinceanera? Like it's like that's what we do. And, you know, it defines what's going to happen when my daughter turns 15 years old. And so when you have a strong culture, it puts, um, it puts those parameters there. And then it, it basically defines how you're going to act in certain situations or whatever. And that's why, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about, uh, corporations establishing a, an internal culture. What's the culture, you know, you've heard if you've been in the business world at all, you've heard like, what's the culture like at Google? What's the culture at Apple? What's the culture at home? You know, whatever. And so what they're doing is they're setting up parameters in the culture of their corporation so that their workers, their volunteers, anybody that's a part of it knows this is what we do. This is how we act. This is how we respond. This is our level of customer service. I think one of the most powerful ones that we could probably talk about that every one of you, I'm saying probably everybody on this broadcast is aware of, is the Chick-fil-A culture because it's so powerful and it defines them and it makes such a, a powerful corporation because, you know, I saw recently my cousin posted something that, you know, Burger King was trying to troll Chick-fil-A and they, you know, they were supporting the LGBTQ community um, through Pride Month or whatever. And they were talking about you can come get a chicken sandwich and we serve all people and you can get a chicken sandwich. And every day of the week, you know, we're, we're open on Sunday. You know, it's a, like a shot at Chick-fil-A. And then when you saw the statistics, it was insane to see like Burger King's doing like one point something million dollars of sales a day, whereas like uh Chick-fil-A is doing like $4 million and they're only open six days a week. And there's no Chick-fil-A that's open, uh, 24 hours. They're all, they close down for, for the night. So it's like, dude, you, you can knock them all you want, but their culture has produced, uh, extreme increase. <laughs> so you can make fun of it. All you want to make fun of it. doesn't matter. Uh, the proof is in the numbers or, or the pudding, if you will. And so, you can see what their culture did. Well, you, you know, it, it's mind-blowing to me because I travel, right? So I could go to any of these. I've been to Chick-fil-A's all over the place. I've been to places that and wish they had a Chick-fil-A, but for some reason there was no Chick-fil-A there. And, uh, 
You know what blows my mind about Chick-fil-A over, over like McDonald's and Taco Bell and all these other places is that all the other places are hit or miss, right? You can go to McDonald's and you could get, it's hit or miss. You might find a good McDonald's that does a good job. Then you could get a terrible one where the service is terrible. The food is horrible. You know, every, it's not managed well. Same with Taco Bell. Same with all these other places. But I have to tell you, I've never been to a Chick-fil-A anywhere in this country and then gone through and be like, man, this is a terrible Chick-fil-A. Like I've never, I've never, and I've been there a lot. Let me just tell you, I've been there a lot. Never had that experience happen to me once where it's like, man, that was a terrible Chick-fil-A. And from what I've heard, they have a very strict and serious uh, interview policy. They train you like, it's like a serious training, rigorous training. Um, and they, they, they really drive that culture into you. You become a part of that culture. They're so happy to serve you, you know, always saying my pleasure, making sure everything is right on the money. And it, that culture drives them and literally puts them head and shoulders above the rest. Well, what is that? It's the culture they've developed. It's the culture they've developed. Um, I've been to a lot of churches. There is no, there is no culture that, that can be defined at the church. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a free for all, but when leadership creates a visible culture, something that can be seen, understood, felt, and then acted upon, it builds strength in that church. It builds strength in that ministry. You know, when you begin to understand that, you know, how, how would somebody, um, understand, like, for example, our home church, uh, we, we hear it so often that we understand um, what abundant life believes. And we, we may hear it almost every service. And, and, and Bishop Woody started it. Bishop Rick continued it. Pastor Sean's doing the same. What do we hear all the time in abundant life? We hear this. God is a good God. He loves you. And he wants to bless you. We, we constantly hear it. God is a good God. He loves you. He wants to bless you. We believe here at Abundant Life that God is a good God, that he loves you, that he wants to bless you. We hear it so often, we begin to recognize the fact that that's who we are at Abundant Life. That's what we believe. We believe God is a good God. We believe that he loves you. We believe that he wants to bless you. We hear it constantly. It's built a culture within the church where we're raising up people, where we understand we're raising up a group of people that believe God is good. Now, that sounds simple, but then when you realize that there are uh, churches, it's not necessarily that they don't believe God is good, but they believe that he'll do things that we would perceive as evil. There's churches that believe that God will make you sick to punish you. There's churches that believe that God will strip everything away from you, make you poor, so you'll lean more fully on him. And so those those things define their church. But at ours, we believe God is a good God and that he, and that he loves you and he wants to bless you. That's what we believe. We preach it. We teach it. We, we are, we're raising up people that understand it. So the culture defines the people in the culture. And that's why I wanted to do this. And because <clears throat> I didn't come up with it, the Lord started revealing it to me yesterday. And he started showing it to me. And he said, if you want to see, and then basically gave me these things, I'm like quickly writing them all down. And uh, I won't be able to give them all to you today. This is going to be a part one, part two, and part three, because there's, you know, with nine things, there's there's a lot to get into. And of course, I'm, I'll expand it as well so that uh, it can be read and kept in your heart. And I'll put it into a book form. I know that I will because um, just seeing all this, I know, I know how powerful it's going to be and helpful probably for other churches too. 
So uh, we'll, we'll put it into print form as well, an ebook form. But we're calling it the H9 uh, philosophy. The H9 because of the way God gave it to me. There's nine of them, but um, it's amazing. So you'll you'll see it. I'm gonna deal with three of them today. But so he he gave me the idea. So we're, as I was praying, he gave me nine things, and then he had me write down these these uh, these words. Under the under the each thing he wrote benefit had me write benefit and then ensures that we never so we can see the upside of of living out this cultural strategy and then we can see what it protects us from if we do this what's it going to protect us from and then at the very bottom he had me write identifiers so how do we know uh, if I if I'm missing this like if if this cultural thing is not at work in my life, how can I tell it's not at work? How do I know it's not in my life? What can I identify that shows it's not in me? And then the final thing, how do I fix that? How, practically, how can I make sure that that kind of fruit is being produced in my life? See, that's where it practically applies to you and how you can know uh, that, you, that you're operating in this style of culture. So, um, I want you to take notes, write these down. So today and Tuesday and Wednesday, we're going to be going over all nine. I'll do three each day so that you can get it in your spirit, but you don't want to miss one of these broadcasts because I'm just telling you this, this philosophy, I started going over yesterday. I was like, that literally encompasses everything that brings us into a place of victory. We, you know, we call ourselves the victory tribe. We're the tribe of Judah where we come in through the line of Jesus Christ and we're expected to be victorious. We're expected to be overcomers and more than conquerors, but nobody gets there by accident. We get there by the design of God. And these nine seem to encompass everything that God would give us in order to overcome constantly. So we're going to jump in and uh, I want you to, I want you to take notes on these, write them down. Like I said, I'll give you three each day, but we're going to go. Yeah. H nine is what I said. Uh, Bethany said, did you say H nine? That's what I said because, and you'll see that. And uh, all of these that the Lord gave me, the, the, the philosophy of the culture, each one begins with H, which is it's actually pretty amazing. I like that when it does happen like that. Can't always, but these did. So we called it the H9 strategy, the H9 philosophy. Um, and we'll jump into it that way. So number one, and then we'll break it down. All of these will keep you impactful. All of these will keep you strong. They'll all keep you moving forward, and they will all keep you in a place where you're victorious uh, in the kingdom. So I'll give you the first three. Number one is this. Uh, the victory tribe culture is number one, happy. We are happy people. I mean, like there's no way to get around that. And there's no way to try to make, to brush that off or make it some kind of unimportant side thing. Number one, the victory tribe. We are happy people. We are joyful people without question. And by the way, I don't know if I did this, but, uh, everybody from, from church in the city is on already. Are they on now? We want to welcome everybody that's watching from Church in the City as well. I normally don't get to broadcast to that Facebook page, obviously, but thanks for jumping on. Thanks for being in these meetings. It's going to be a powerful week. Um, so number one is happy. We're happy people. And that is, trust me when I tell you, that is one of the most important things you can be, is joyful. We're commanded in the Bible to be joyful. We are commanded to rejoice always. <laughs> rejoice always. Always. 
in all things, rejoice, be full of joy. We're happy people. And, and I wrote this down. Joy will define our culture, happiness, happy people, happiness will define our culture. It's the fuel for your purpose. It keeps you strong. It keeps you productive. And this is what I love. It ensures that we'll never creep into bitterness. I love this. It keeps us strong. It keeps us productive and it ensures that we'll never creep into bitterness. And so number one thing that defines us, and these are in no particular order, by the way, because I'm, uh, they're all, they're all important. I'm not saying that, you know, this is not one through nine, most important to least important. I'm just going to give you all of them this week and you'll see that they all, and many of them work together. Here's the thing you'll realize. Many of these work together and it's important that they do. But uh, one of the things that I do want to talk about is it's so amazing that when you operate in the joy of the Lord, how much of the other stuff cannot attach itself to you, the negative stuff, the stuff the devil would use to destroy your life. It's amazing to me that when you operate consistently in the joy of the Lord, how much other stuff just has to fall off of you. I mean, literally the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord's our strength. That's Nehemiah 8.10. So strength, it keeps you in strength. Keeps you in strength. Um, Not only that, the Bible says that when you're joyful, when you have that kind of joy, uh, listen, that's so true. It It is, it's true. When you have that joy, there's no ability for chronic depression or all these things to stay on you. Anxiety, panic, suicidal thoughts, all the things, you know, the things that are destroying a whole generation, they can't hang on you because you're walking in overwhelming joy. And so it's the fuel for your purpose. It's the fuel for your purpose, keeps you strong. It keeps you productive. You know, one of the things that steals productive ability from people, depression does. Depression stops you in your tracks. I was quoting that yesterday. I was reading a book called Contagious by Dr. Jonah Berger. They found over 10-year study, depression is the only emotion that pulls people back from moving forward and doing things. Depression, it isolates you, it shuts you down, puts you behind closed doors. And it's not the plan of God. It's an attack of the devil. The Bible calls it a spirit of heaviness. And so what is the thing that defines the victory tribe? We're happy people. And we take steps to ensure that we stay in joy because your flesh won't always want to. Your flesh wants to just do what it wants to do. It wants to just feel however it feels in the moment. That's why these things that I'm going to show you, they take, you have to take practical steps. You have to take action uh, to, to ensure you're staying in that place. And so, and you'll never creep into bitterness. You'll never creep into bitterness if you will stay in joy. All right, so we're going to go through these for each one. Uh, what what are the what's the benefit of it? What does ensure what does it ensure we never do? The next, what are the identifiers if it's not in my life? And then what's the solution? How can I how can I fix it? So obviously we just we're kind of going over the benefits when you're walking in overwhelming joy. It is. Uh, fuel for your purpose. What do I mean by that? It strengthens you to accomplish 
what God has called you to do. You know, when I read that to you, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When Nehemiah came into the king's court and he saw what really was his purpose not being fulfilled, when he looked and saw that the walls were broken down and in need of repair, the Bible says he came in front of the king and was dejected and sad. And the king, it was so much so that the king noticed it. And the king was like, what's going on with you? Because you're coming into my court, you got a long face. Why are, why are you acting like that? And, and, and Nehemiah said, look, how can I be happy? How can I be happy when, I'm, when I look over here and see that the walls are broken down, that, that this needs? And he said, that's fine. Go and do it. Go and do your purpose. And notice that it was an absence of joy when Nehemiah was not accomplishing his purpose. There was an absence of joy. And until he got back to doing what he was called to do and got out there and began to rebuild the walls, that fulfillment, that joy wasn't there. Joy becomes fuel. When you're going in the direction God's called you and accomplishing that purpose, it it takes joy to do it. I love, I love Isaiah 55 and verse number 12. It says, you shall go out in joy and be led forth by peace. You shall go out with joy. Joy is a fuel for your purpose. And so that's one of the benefits. Another benefit is it keeps us strong. The joy of the Lord's our strength. Depression, anxiety, these things weaken your body. They weaken your body. It's no surprise that depression and anxiety, if these people are sleeping all the time, they don't want to go out. They don't, oh, I just don't feel like it. it saps you of your strength. The Bible tells us it saps you of strength. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart is good like a medicine. It's like medicine to your body. That's not just a biblical thought. That is a divine thought, but humans are now catching up with it and understanding it because even doctors are telling you now, you need to find something that's less stressful. You need to get a hobby that you enjoy. You need to get, you know, you need to get your, your stress levels down. They're telling people that all over America and around the world because they understand that that it's joy that brings, reinvigorates you and gives you strength. And so it's, it's a benefit, keeps us strong, but also keeps us productive. It keeps us productive, puts us in a place where we're, you know, it's a whole lot easier to produce when you're filled with joy versus when you're battling stuff in your mind and you can't even focus. You're, you're constantly thinking about the thing you're afraid is going to take place or the thing that you, that you think the stuff that's destroying your peace and stuff that's taken away and your, your joy and you're sitting around depressed. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been in the middle of a task or the middle of doing something and all of a sudden you get some kind of news or something, bad news or something's happening. You're like, oh, what's going to come of this? You don't even know the outcome yet, but you're like, what's going to come of this? And you can't even focus because you're so worried. You know, I've had like, for example, I've had people give me uh, kind of um, scenarios where it's like, yeah, I didn't even know I went to the doctor and they found a mass and they had to do a biopsy and I was going to get the, I was going to get the uh, results back in. And then what's happened? You don't even have the results. You know, you don't know if something's benign or if it's cancerous, you don't even know. And you're sitting at work and, and you know, you're going to get the lab results that day. You can't, people can't even focus because they're so worried and so anxious about what's going to happen. And so they're sitting there, they can't even think about what they're doing. It's almost like I, I'm, I'm useless at my job today because I'm just, I'm going to get this. What's going on? Anxiety, worry, fear, panic has stolen your ability 
to be productive. And so joy, and see, that's why I have to emphasize, it's not natural joy. It's not earthly joy. It is not based upon circumstances. It's a supernatural joy and happiness that comes upon you when you do what God's called you to do and you're stepping in your purpose. And so it keeps you in that place of productivity, productivity, very important. But then we go on to this. What does it ensure that never happens in our life? Well, uh, obviously the opposite of those things, it it ensures we're never stagnant. It ensures that we're never um, unproductive and weak. It never, it keeps us in a place where we can't accomplish our purpose. There's nothing worse. How I don't want to stand before the Lord and hear him say, you know, you should have done more. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So let's talk about some identifiers. What can you, because there's people that it's it's interesting. They think they've got it all together. They think, well, I'm fine. I don't, I'm, I don't have any problems. What are some identifiers? What are some identifiers that you're not operating in this very first one that we're happy, that happiness defines your life? Well, I'll give you some some identifiers. Number one, would people define you as an emotional roller coaster? Are you an emotional roller coaster? Don't ask yourself that. It would be somebody you want to ask somebody else that's around you all the time. Would you view me as an emotional roller coaster? Am I one of those people that like you have to walk on eggshells for the first 15 minutes when you talk to me because you don't know what mood I'm in that day? Do I seem to be all over the place emotionally? I mean, you need to ask somebody that's around you a lot. Don't don't answer it yourself because you'll say, no, I'm not an emotional. Ask someone else that has to encounter you every day. Am I an emotional roller coaster? Do I feel like I'm, you know, super happy one day, sad one day, angry another day? Gina said, I'm not going to (laughs) ask. So you might already just know. Um, Identifiers. Yeah. Are you frustrated quickly? Are you, do you, are you emotionally controlled? See, this is, this is a huge question to ask. Am I emotionally controlled? Do I allow natural circumstances to define my emotions? In fact, I would put that as a question in the comments, put it in the comments. Do I allow natural circumstances to control my emotions? That's, a, that's an identifier. You can see it clearly. Do I allow natural circumstance? And we all do to a degree, but you can't let it overtake you. Can't let it overtake you. You have to be able to laugh in the face of adversity. You have to be able to laugh when you get a bad report. I mean, they told my mom something at the hospital one time, and it was just so ridiculous. It was a bad report, but it was just so ridiculous and out of left field, she just like laughed in the doctor's face when he said it. She was like, <laughs> she was like, <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, like, that's like how she responded. It was like, it's so funny to me. She just laughed and said, no, no, that's not true. That's not me. And, so, and then she left and never, never followed up again with it. It's not, you know, it's not it. It's not her story. And so do I allow natural circumstances to control my emotion? That's huge. That's huge. Cause we're not as Christians supposed to do that. We're supposed to be at peace during the storm. We're supposed to have joy in the midst of uh, trials and tribulations, the Bible says. Count it all joy. That was the instruction when you fall into diverse temptations. And so you understand that happiness should define you, not cert- not 
have circumstances define your emotions, but my uh, disciplined culture that God's given me from his word defines the future of my life. And that's how I'll live. So those are some identifiers. How you know, emotional roller coaster, frustrated easily, upset easily, always. And you have, you have to be even keeled. You have to just let it, you know, you let it roll right off your back. It does take work. It does take being led by the spirit because nobody can do it in their flesh. Got to be a spiritual person to do it. And then the question, how can I fix it? How can I fix it? Well, this is the practical side where, you know, you know, this, this needs to change and it needs to change quickly. Um, one of the things that, uh, is good to do is to prepare yourself with some ammunition, right? I always tell people to have, uh, ammunition prepared. So in this first one, we're dealing with happiness. Well, what are some things from the word of God that provoke happiness? That's the question you need to ask. What are some things that provoke supernatural happiness or encouragement? What are some things that provoke supernatural happiness or encouragement? Well, we know one thing does. Praise does. The Bible teaches us that praise transports us into the presence of God. And then what does it say? And in his presence is fullness of joy. I lost this TV up here. Sorry. In There we go. We're back. In his presence is fullness of joy. So we know praise does it. We know praise does it. So have some ammunition ready to go. If you start feeling that, uh, I'm getting uh, depressed, I'm getting anxious, I'm getting to the place where, I don't know, I feel that heaviness on me. Just start praising God immediately. If you got to go, if you got to excuse yourself, go and just start praising him. Praise him for his mighty acts of greatness. Praise him. So what do I mean by that? Praise him for what he's already done in your life in the past. Praise him. Praise him for what you're praying for that he's going to do in your future. Praise him for that. Praise him for who he is. Praise him because he's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a provider. He's a brings peace. He brings joy. He's your righteousness. Praise him for that and begin to praise him as you praise him. The Bible says he inhabits your praises and in his presence is fullness of joy. I'll tell you another thing you can do as uh, a solution to, to number one. If you have identified, I'm not constantly walking in the culture of happiness. Okay. If you're not, after you're done praising him, do what the Bible says, speak in tongues, begin to pray in the spirit. Why is that? Paul taught in first Corinthians chapter 14, that someone who prays in tongues or speaks in tongues is uh, edifying or encouraging himself. Although others may not understand what he's saying, the Bible says he encourages himself. So it's edifying to you personally. Let me read that to you. First Corinthians chapter 14 and uh, verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, and he utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, verse 4, and the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But now, one who prophesies builds up the church. So, speaking in tongues has the ability to build you up personally. If you go on to Jude 20, you know what the Bible says. It says, brothers, stirring up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So building yourselves up in your most holy faith, you can build up or stir up your faith 
by praying in the Holy Ghost. So we know that just those two elements will quickly transport you into an encouraging place, into a place where there's fullness of joy. And I'm, con- I'm listen, I am convinced, I am convinced that there are people who um, they've never actually practically done. They think they do. But notice this, if you're constantly battling, I mean, don't tell me, uh, because here's the thing, either the Bible's true or it's a lie. Either the Bible is true or it's a lie. And and, and the, if the Bible tells us that if we stay in his presence, we will experience fullness of joy, fullness. Think about it in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You can't tell me that you're going to manifest the spirit of the Lord and live in his presence constantly and stay in overwhelming depression and anxiety. It doesn't line up with the Bible. It just doesn't. You say, well, that's awfully harsh to people that are going through those things. No, I'm giving you a solution. Well, it's not as easy as you all you all think it is all the time. It's a battle. It's a daily. Listen, everything you deal with is a daily battle. According to Paul, Paul's the one who said, I discipline my body on a daily basis and make it do what it should so that after having preached to others, I myself will not become disqualified. He didn't say he did it monthly or yearly. He did it daily and probably multiple times a day. You take authority over your flesh. And so I'm just telling you that the people that 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 live this way, it's it's obvious that they're not accessing the presence of the Lord. They're not. And I'll tell you, when I, a lot of places that I've been, it makes sense for me to understand. It's they, they go to a dead church. They, they don't even understand. They don't even understand. Yeah, the King James says a castaway. One translation says uh, a reprobate. One translation says uh, disqualified. And Paul knew what it was going to ha- what was going to happen to him if he didn't take authority over his flesh. And we all have to do that every day. Every single day. And so as we're defining the H9 philosophy, this culture for the Victory Tribe, number one is we are happy people. We are happy people. And let me tell you, joy is contagious. Joy is contagious. You know what's crazy? If you ever worked at a job where everybody's in cubicles and at their desk or whatever, if you got two, three people sitting around looking at something and you hear a bunch of laughing and it's just they're constantly laughing in the cubicle, you know what happens? Other people get up out of their desk and walk over to see what's so funny. You know why? They want to get in on the joy. They want to laugh too. What are you guys laughing at? What's so funny? They come over and check it out. Why? Joy is contagious. And joy is a fuel. And so it has to be a defining characteristic of our culture because of the fact, yes, it gives you energy. It gives you strength. And so you've got to have ammunition on hand to ensure that your joy is never stolen and that you walk in that happiness on a daily basis, daily basis. And because it's now when you go to do what you're called to do, it makes all the difference in the world, all the difference in the world, you know. One of the things that I've noticed, and I'm, uh, you know, I've I've cultivated happiness and joy, you know, for a long time. But I've even noticed that when you uh, exude joy and happiness, people even receive you differently. I've noticed that people receive you differently. If people can can tell that you love them, that you care about them, that you're you're not you're 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 full of joy, but when you deal with something, they'll even receive correction differently. 
They'll receive instructions differently. I promise you, because body language and, and the emotion with, with, which, with which you say something makes all the difference in the world. You know, it, it, it honestly does. It's funny because even in the business world, when they teach you how to deal with people, if you have to bring a correction or if you have to do, you know what they always tell you, you start with the positives. They always want you to start with the positives. Now, listen, I really appreciate you're doing a great job for the company. Uh, we, we really appreciate your faithfulness and all you're doing and, and you're doing a great job. There's a couple things that we need to work on. They always start because what does that do? Puts that person in a state of mind, unless obviously you know the tactic and then you're like, oh, what's coming now? But you understand when you have a certain approach, you could have two people say the exact same thing to you, but they're both in two different moods and they're both with two different deliveries, both with two different mindsets, and you'll receive them completely differently. You'll receive them completely differently. And so the key becomes you've got to make it a part of your culture. Happy. We are happy people. We're joyful people. You know, if I... If, you know, in leading teams, I want anybody that that deals with my team to understand I'm not dealing with an emotional wreck. I'm not dealing with a train wreck. I am dealing with somebody who carries joy, who walks in joy. First of all, it's a representation of the Lord and it's a representation of this ministry. I'm dealing with somebody that walks in joy. (laughs) I had a pastor I was just with. He said, I'm going to tell you, Brother Ted is one of the happiest people I've ever met. He's the happiest people I've ever been around in my life. You can't even get around him and talk to him and go out to eat with him without getting happy. Well, that's a contagious joy. You carry it. You walk in it. And it needs to be part of an important part of the culture. And so that's number one. Number two, and again, I'm going to give you three today, three tomorrow and three on Wednesday. But number two today is that the second type of person that we need to be in our culture is humble. We need to be humble people. This cannot be stated strongly enough. Humble people. We have to walk in humility. And it's so very important that we do. Put it in the comments. I must be humble. I must be humble. Pop that in the comments. That's right. Jackie Blake, humble. What is the story? What's the what's the power of humility? What's the power of being humble? I'm going to tell you what it is. Number one, you say the questions, what, what benefits are there? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that when we walk in that humility, it provokes God to extend more grace to people who walk in humility. So grace, by the way, is not unmerited favor. If you've ever heard that term, grace is unmerited favor. No, it's not. It's not only one grace was ever unmerited. And that's the giving of Jesus Christ. After that, all grace is merited. All of it, all of it. And you can gain more favor from God and more grace from God by your actions, by your obedience to his word. I can give you three different passages of scripture for that. First one is in the book of James, the the scripture I just quoted. He gives more grace to the humble. He gives more grace. And that's a quotation from another place in scripture. He gives more grace or favor to the humble. So one of the benefits of walking in humility is that it it attracts more favor and more grace from God. And, And then you go further 
And you, go, you begin to understand that when you are humble, it actually gives you access to inheritance. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, blessed are the meek, meekness and humility are the opposite of pride and arrogance. Blessed are the meek, why? For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit it. So meekness is the key to inheritance. And I'll go further than that. Meekness is the key to greatness. Let me show you something about Moses that might blow your mind. This, this It's mind-blowing to me. But if you were to go to uh, Numbers chapter 12, uh, or excuse me, Numbers chapter 11, I apologize. It's three. Numbers 12, three. I thought it was 12, nine. It's 12, three. Uh, listen to Numbers 12, three. And then we're going to jump back to Exodus 11, three. Both talking about Moses. Mind blowing. Numbers 12, three, the Bible says, now the man Moses was very meek. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. So there was no one on the earth, according to, to, to the Bible, that was more meek than Moses was. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Then look what happens. You go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 11 and verse 3. Listen to this. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So the man who was very meek is the man who became very great. The man who was very meek is the man who became very great. See, because what's the opposite of this? The opposite of this is very proud. And what does the Bible say takes place with the proud? God resists the proud. Look at that. God resists the proud. What does the Bible say in the book of Proverbs? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So notice that these two things is what are we dealing with? The benefits versus ensuring that we never do what? Well, it's ensuring that we'll never fall. It's ensuring that we never get resisted by God. Let me tell you something. You don't want to catch a stiff arm from God. That's the worst stiff arm you'll ever feel in your life. Bam! As he's running through with his plan and his purpose in the earth, and you thought you were going to run with him, and you catch a stiff arm from him because of pride and arrogance. The Bible said God actively resists the proud, but he gives more grace or favor to the humble. I don't want to live a lifestyle where God is resisting me in my life. I mean, think about it. It's the opposite of what Paul said to the Roman church. If God is for you, tell me who can be against you. That's the opposite of what I just said. Because that means if God's on your side, it doesn't matter who's against you. You'll still prevail. You'll still have the victory. By the way, that's the whole Old and New Testament. People being against God's people and God standing up and saying, no, you're not going to defeat them and destroying their enemies. But then the opposite is also true. 
If you're full of pride, if you're full of arrogance, God actively resists you. And you know what that, that means? It means that it doesn't matter who's for you. Corporations could be behind you. Governments could be behind you. Armies could be behind you. It doesn't matter because if God's against you, you're done. You're done. And so one of the things that happens with uh, humility, that we're humble people, is it ensures that we will attract the favor of God. It ensures that we'll walk in the, uh, the grace and the mercy of God. And it ensures our greatness because God's the one who exalts, right? Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. Promotion comes from the Lord. So if we are humble people, then guess what's going to happen? God is going to grab us by his mighty right hand, and he's going to lift us up head and shoulders above the rest. It's exactly what's going to happen. It's exactly what's going to happen because he's the one who decides who will rise and fall. But how does he decide it? Look, look at the, what the Bible says, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro across the earth, looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him on whose behalf he will show himself strong and mighty. So what's the key? If God finds us in a place of humility and meekness with our hearts turned toward him, guess what he's going to do? He's going to grab us and lift us up head and shoulders above the rest. That's why humility cannot be overstated. Being humble people, it cannot be overstated. I've listened. I've, uh, hey, hey, Isaiah, I'll tell you, I've, I've, uh, in the time that I've been in church and dealt with, uh, you know, different musicians and, uh, and stuff, I've played with a lot of guys. I've played with a lot of players and one of my biggest, biggest pet peeves is people who have a big ego, people that are filled with pride. I can't stand it. And I don't want it on the platform that I'm ministering on, which I'm ministering. And so if I come in contact with people that are prideful people, they're arrogant people, they got a big ego, I'll never work with them again because it keeps the anointing out of what we're doing because God resists the proud. I want meek and humble people. I'm so happy to say that everybody that we have around us now are all meek and humble people. They truly are. And they're the best at what they do, but they're very humble, very humble. And I listen, I appreciate that with everything in me because it shows they care what God thinks. <laughs> it shows that they care what God thinks. And that's exactly how they should feel. And what does it do? It benefits us because we attract the favor of God. We attract the mercy of God. We, uh, we attract also greatness and inheritance when we walk in humility. But what does it ensure that we never do? It ensures we never are destroyed. It ensures, we, it ensures that we are never resisted by the Spirit of God. It ensures that we're never in a place where we're trying to break through and can't because God's against us. <laughs> so what are some identifiers? And these are important. What are some identifiers? And let's talk about some solutions. Uh, some identifiers that will help you. Look into your life. Okay. How can I tell? Well, am I always talking about myself? Look at that in your own life. When I get into conversation, am I always waiting for people to just be done talking so I can talk about myself more? I've watched that. Like I see it all the time. 
was talking to my cousin. I said, did you ever talk to, you ever meet this guy? Yeah. Did you ever talk to him? He said, yeah. I was like, the guy, the dude doesn't even care anything that you're saying. It's like, you could be talking. His eyes are just glossed over and he's just like watching and waiting for you to be done talking so he can talk about himself more. I mean, that's, that's, I'm telling you. And especially, yeah, that's a good, good question. AJ, can I have a conversation without using the words I and me all the time? You're always talking about yourself. You know, it's like, there's some people and I I've, I've grown to detest it so much that like my cousin, and I have talked about this, how there's always people, um, that they'll come up to you and ask you, uh, tell me if you've seen this, raise your hand in the comments. If you've seen this, there's people that will approach you and ask how you're doing or what you're doing in life. Not because they're interested just because when you're done, they really want to tell you everything they're doing. Raise a hand. If you've ever seen somebody like that, because I've come into contact with a lot of them like, Hey, you know, how you doing? You know, what have you been up to? What's, what's going on in your ministry, your business, your family, whatever. And they don't care what your answer is. They're just waiting for you to be done talking because they got a lot to tell you about them. I've dealt with it. So you know what I do now? Especially if I can tell. I I don't even really like to tell a lot of what's going on or what I've been up to to people unless I really, really, you know, have a relationship with them. And I really know they get they care because if they don't care, what's the point? I'm wasting my breath. So a lot of times we've come up with funny answers that just make us laugh. <laughs> my cousin and I, we've come up with with answers that will just, we laugh to in, inwardly. And they'll be like, uh, so what do you got coming up on your ministry schedule? And we'll be like, actually, this is my last meeting. I'm retiring after this. After this, I'll be done. And so, you know, it's just crazy because you know that's why they're asking you. So, or or we'll just give a super short answer and then ask what the person's doing. So it's like, right, at, le- at least, at least let's just get, get your answer over. Yeah, I'm doing good. What about you? What have you been up to? Like that quickly, I'll throw it back to them that quickly. Because I know that's what the, that's all they want to talk about is them. You have to ask yourself a question. Oh, I got Facebook comments back on the TV. That's awesome. Um, you know, just throw it back to them. You know, be like, oh, I'm doing great. What about you? What are you up to? And because, and then ask yourself the question. Be introspective. Am I always about me? Am I always talking about me? Or am I about others? Am I about others? Are you able? Here's another question. Here's another question that'll that'll help you identify if you have an issue with with uh, pride and you're not humble. Do you have an issue being corrected? Do you have an issue being corrected? If you can't take correction, if you can't take correction, you've got a massive, massive problem. It's far bigger than culture. You've got a big problem. Because if you don't take correction, you know what the Bible says? A fool hates correction. A fool hates correction. So you got to ask yourself, am I always talking about me? And then secondly, do I have a hard time taking correction? Do I have a problem taking correction? If you do, work on that. Humble yourself. You know, uh, the Bible tells us that. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. So you can actually humble yourself. And it is the Christian's responsibility to humble themselves. Don't wait to be humbled. You know, that, that's the thing. Remember this for the rest of your life. If you don't humble yourself, you'll be humbled. 
Oh, yeah, Jen. Unsolicited advice. It's like the same thing. You know? And even if did someone did give you that or jumps up and you didn't ask them for their opinion and they jumped in and started giving it to you, humility will just listen and just, okay, thanks. You know, that's... Because you never know. Meekness says, hey, maybe I actually will learn something when they're done talking. So I'm not going to be so proud that nobody can tell me anything. No. I'll be meek. Say, oh, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to tell me. You know? I've actually been able to turn people's whole... This makes me laugh. Because sometimes I'll do like social experiments. And and what I'll do is I'll be like, uh, I'll have somebody that'll come up. I've had this before. And, and, you know, I, I have no problem rebuking the fire out of people. I can rebuke people until they pee their pants. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. But sometimes I like to do social experiments and see if I can just literally uh, turn people's whole demeanor around. And there's many times I, I've been able to do it. I've had people that have approached me angry. I don't agree with this. That. And I'll sit there and listen to them. Uh-huh. And let them just say everything. I'll, I'll just let them say everything that they want to say. I'll say, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Oh, you don't. Oh, expand on that. Why Why is that? I like to just break things down, let, let people just fully explain. Because most times people don't even know why they don't explain or why they don't agree. They don't, what, what? And I'll, I'll just, I'll get invasive with the questions, penetrating questions. Oh, you don't. Okay, so why is it you don't agree with that? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. So what, what, what don't you believe about that? So what in the Bible makes you believe opposite? And I know some people are like, that's a waste of time. Most people lost it. Yeah, maybe so, but I, so I'm amusing myself. I'm amusing myself to see if I can turn their whole. And by the end, I'll watch. I've seen it happen. But by the end of the conversation, they're like, they're like humbled and crying. Like, well, I just, maybe I just need prayer. You know, maybe I just need you to pray. It's like, yeah, you do need prayer. That was the whole point. And that's why we've now brought you to this moment is because uh, by just letting you talk and vent and get all your thoughts out, you even start to realize they don't make sense. Humble yourself. The thing is, if you don't humble yourself, you will be humbled. You will be humbled. And so, you know, it doesn't, uh, Tony said, maybe we shouldn't talk to everybody. Should we listen to everyone? Obviously, you don't listen to everyone. You don't want to listen to everybody. You don't take to heart everyone's advice. But only a very, very weak-minded person would be in trouble by listening to what someone has to say. Because unless you're just like a total basket case, you should be able to listen to what someone has to say and identify that it's untrue. It's not going to shape your life. I mean, good Lord. You don't want to take to heart everything everyone says or live by everything everyone says, but it's not wrong to hear what someone has to say. And so humility can take correction. Humility can uh, focus on others. It's not about me all the time. You know, humility can uh, focus on other people. Is interested in what other people are. Uh, are you? Here's another question. Are you threatened by what everybody around you is saying or doing? Are you always threatened? Are you threatened by other people on Instagram or Facebook? You look through like, and then you don't like you don't like it because look what you're seeing them do is like better than what you see yourself doing. And then you're like, then you feel weird around them, and you're like, then you start to resent them. It's like that's insecurity. It's insecurity. It's a problem. It's a pride problem because because like, who cares? You want to see other people do well. You know what I mean? That's that's the thing. You want to see other people do well, and so. Look at these things internally. Are you having these issues? Can you take correction? Are you focused on other people? 
Do you get all bent out of shape when people have stuff going on that's you might be more at that moment better than you, whatever? <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a few and far between, Tony, that you're going to meet people that have a legion of demons on the inside of them. <laughs> Most people aren't going to meet legion. <laughs> but I would agree. In that extreme case that you met legion, it would, it would be okay not to listen and tell them to shut up. Um, but it's so important, humility. And so you identify that. How do I know? That's how you know. What can you do to fix it? So here's the, here's the final part of this. What can you do to fix it? Yeah, I used to say that, Bethany. She said, is it prideful to say that I'm humble? I used to say that. I, I, I used to say, I take pride in knowing I'm the most humble person I've ever met. I'm very, very, I'm probably the most humble person there is. And you can, you know, <laughs> I used to also say, I'm the smartest person I know. You can even ask me. <laughs> I'll tell you what else. This is a side note. This has nothing to do, but we talk, while I'm on the subject of amusing myself, one of the things you talk about social experiments. I love, and anybody that's watching that knows me personally knows that I love awkward situations. I love creating them. I love, I love being the cause of an awkward situation. And um, one of the things that I've uh, been doing recently that just makes me laugh, like when I get away from the situation, I'll laugh so hard. I did it last night twice. I did it last night twice when I got back from church to the hotel. Uh, and I just, it makes me laugh. So what I'll be, what I'll do now is I, <laughs> it's just because it's funny to me. I, uh, I will be on, I'll, I will start fake phone conversations when there's a ton of people around and talk loudly. So I was like, uh, our hotel has all, of these, I guess it's like a cheerleading tournament that's going on right now. There's tons of cheerleaders staying at our, our hotel. So there was like all these cheerleaders and their moms and they were all like p- packed around the, uh, packed around the elevator so I could see there was like a large grouping of people. So I like walked up with my phone like I was on a call and I started talking loudly because they were all, I was behind them all and they were all waiting for the elevator and I was going to get on too. And I got up and I was like, yeah. I said, so I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I just got off, got the results from the doctor. I have COVID and I'm so contagious. I can't believe it. I'm extremely contagious. Yeah. And then like they all started turning around looking at me and like backing up. And then they were like wide eyed. And I just took the phone down. I started laughing. And they laughed so hard, which I'm happy they did. They laughed so hard. I've done that. I've walked into restaurants. I go into Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, no mask. Like, yeah, I'm so contagious right now. I got COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's all over me. I can't. People are like appalled. I'll do, I did another one last night. I just like to see how people respond to those things. I, wa- I walked in. I was riding the elevator with five people. I got on my phone again. I was like, yeah, yeah, it was an insane thing. She just grabbed that wheelchair and pushed her down the stairs. She went all the way down the stairs to the bottom, just crashed. Yeah, I know. And I got off the elevator people were looking like, what in the world? What kind of people does he know? Just cracks me up. I like to make people, because one of the things you'll find, and especially if I'm around people that are kind of like new, and I won't do it with the fake call thing, but I'll just like kind of press on people stuff just to see how they'll react. You can tell a lot about people by how they react to certain things. If they get bent out of shape, if they're quickly offended, you know, that's that's one of the signs. Uh, that's why if you ever heard me or my cousin talking about uh, that preacher that's he's dead now, he's gone uh, on to heaven, uh, Brother Tom McGinnis from New York, he used to just roast people like uh, 
Don Rickles, you know, and I used to love listening to it and watching people's reactions because, you know, if you were cool with it, like if you laughed about it and like all of that, he would stop messing with you because he could just tell you were a cool person. But if you were one of those people that was getting super upset about it and we're all bent out of shape, he'd keep going and he'd keep going and he'd keep going. And uh, it was just funny to watch. You can tell a lot about a person by how they react to things. And, you know, humility should cause you to react in a very specific kind of way. You shouldn't be quick to get offended and be quick to get upset. And you can't take correction. Look at your life and ask yourself, am I somebody that needs to humble myself? So the question is, what can you do to humble yourself? What can you do to humble yourself? Well, one of the things you can do is to put a check on your own life and just watch. Let, let those triggers, let those triggers be the key. If I'm receiving correction, you know, and, and it needs to be from somebody that's qualified to correct you. You know, it's like your pastor, spiritual leaders, you know, your boss, whatever. Um, take it in stride. Take it in stride and say, what, what is it that I could do to change? You know, ask penetrating questions. Here's the other thing. Fast and pray. Fast and pray. Did you know if you've looked, if you read the newest book that I've released um, on uh, a complete guide to biblical fasting, one of the things you'll read is that fasting was a form or, or a tool that people used even in the Old Testament to humble themselves. They humbled themselves through fasting. That's a term you'll read in the Old Testament. And they humbled themselves through fasting and prayer. Fasting humbles you. Your flesh can't rise up if your flesh has been weakened through fasting. And what happens? Your spirit man becomes more prevalent, becomes, you know, takes more control. It shouldn't be that way. People, Christians shouldn't have to fast for their spirit man to have control of their life or to be led by the spirit. But let me tell you, many, many Christians are flesh driven. Jen, I don't have my books on audiobook yet, but we are working on that. It's something that I am going to have happen and it's going to be on audible.com and all of that. Uh, I do want to do that as soon as possible. But if, if you look at that, it's like, I have to fast and pray in order for uh, my spirit to come alive and for the spirit to lead me. It shouldn't be the case, but some people are so carnal, they need a 21-day fast just to get out of their flesh. But we should fast throughout the year. We, we should fast, um, you know, we should fast constantly throughout the year as the early church did. You know, they fasted two days every week, two days every week. Yeah, I have that book, uh, Tony, on uh, atomic power with God through fasting and prayer, Franklin Hall. Uh, and so you have to understand, fasting will humble you. Prayer will humble you. It puts you in perspective as who you are and who God is. And you're not him and he's not you. And, and prayer will put you in proper perspective. Prayer and fasting go a long way into humbling somebody. And as I said, humbling yourself. If you'll humble yourself, you'll be exalted and you'll be blessed and the favor of God will be attracted to your life. It's it's number two. You've got to be a humble person. So number one, we're happy people. Number two, we're humble people. Let me give you the third and last one for today. Um, what is it that defines the victory tribe? We're not only happy, we're not only humble, but number three, we hustle. We hustle. And I don't mean in that hip hop 
definition of like we're scamming people on the street. I'm not talking about being a hustler. I'm talking about like in the sports definition that we're going as hard as we can. We are diligent. We're faithful. We're going after it. We hustle. We hustle. And I wrote that I wrote that in as God showed to me. We're diligent and we're faithful. We're self-motivated and resourceful. I'll give you those four things again under this topic of of, of we hustle. Number one, we're diligent, we're faithful, we're self-motivated and resourceful. I got to deal with that because this is a huge, huge thing for the, the people of God. We're diligent. God's looking for diligent people. We're faithful. We're self-motivated. That's huge. I got to get on that one in a minute. And we're resourceful and I'll deal with that as well. But that means we hustle. That's the third thing that I want to deal with today. We hustle. When you have this mindset, one thing God cannot stand is lazy people. God cannot stand lazy people. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And so we are people. One of the things that defines our culture is that we hustle. We hustle. We've had our team. People have said us about our team. I'm not saying this to be. I'm just using it as an example because that was our goal. I've had people tell us, man, when you guys say you're going to do something, you just like, it doesn't take, you know, we don't wait six months, seven months. They're like, man, you have an idea and then you just do it. You just like accomplish it. He's like, yes, that's the whole point. We don't want to like get an idea from the Lord or get an instruction. And then like it's seven months down the road before it comes to pass or it's a year later or, you know, whatever we want to accomplish our purpose. And so the Victory Tribe, we are people who hustle. We're diligent. We're diligent people. Go to Proverbs 22. I'll show you this. Proverbs chapter 22. And verse uh, 29. And I'm going to give this to you from a couple of different uh, translations. Listen to this, Proverbs 22, 29, ESV. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. That's the ESV. Listen to the NLT. Do you see any truly competent workers? They will serve kings rather than working for ordinary people. Here's the uh, New English translation. You've seen a person skilled in his work. He will take his position before kings. He'll not stand before or take his position before obscure people. Hmm. It's amazing. Skilled. Let me, uh, let me go further. New American Standard. Do you see a man skilled in his work? Let me give you the amplified. Do you see a man diligent and skillful in his business? He'll stand before kings, not obscure men. So you look at this, you can understand it. That God is looking for diligent 
skillful, or what did I say here? Resourceful. Diligent and resourceful people. They'll not be, you know what that means? It brings automatic increase into your life, brings automatic increase. See? What else? I can't talk about this one enough. Self motivated. Self motivated. There's nothing more frustrating to any boss, to anybody that's hired you, anybody that you're working for. Nothing more frustrating than always having to tell you what to do next. That is the most annoying thing for any leader, any boss, having to tell you what to do next. If they've given you a, a like a, a, a project, you should be able to carry it through to the end with their vision in mind without having to come back every 10 minutes. Oh, uh, got that done. Now, what do you want me to do? Got that done. Now, what do you want me to do? Yeah, or Bethany said, or any mom. Same with any mom. Moms feel the same way. Self-motivated. Listen to, uh, I've read this to you multiple times, but listen to uh, Proverbs chapter six. And I'll keep on reading this and reading this because it's so, so true. And there's a reason God gave us this. Go to the ant, oh sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Why would you be wise by considering her ways. What would cause you to watch ants and become wise? Well, the Bible tells us why. Because without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. What will happen? And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Here's the key about being self-motivated. You don't need someone to always be on your back about getting stuff done. We will never be those people. And the kingdom cannot thrive off of people like that. Cannot thrive off of people like that. God hates laziness and he equates it with wickedness. He equates it with wickedness. That's that's found, by the way, in a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25 about the uh, talents. And you know the story. A master was getting ready to go away. He had three servants. He gave one five talents. He gave one two talents and he gave one one talent. And when he went away, The Bible says the one with five invested it and produced another five. So that when the master came back, he gave him 10 talents back. The one who was given two invested it and and gave the master four talents back when he came back. But the one who had one, and by the way, it also was not arbitrary how many, why he gave the certain amount of talents to each man. The scripture actually tells us that, uh, and I'll read it to you. Matthew 25, verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. So notice, he didn't just randomly choose sovereignly. Well, I'm going to give this one five. I'm going to give this one two. No, it was based upon their abilities. They'd proven themselves in the past worthy of five, worthy of two, worthy of one. 
And so when he came back, he found that the one who had won had buried it in the ground. And he said, I knew you were a hard man. And so I didn't want to lose your talent. He said, you could have at least put it in the bank and got me the minimum amount of interest. Now look at this, verse 26. This is the key. But the but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. One translation, lazy. You wicked and lazy servant. Now look at this. Take what he has and give it to the one who has 10. And then look at this, verse 30. And then cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to think about this. He just, all the guy did was maintain what he had. That's all he did. That was his only offense, not producing increase. That was the only thing he did wrong. He didn't produce increase. And look at the three things that the master says about him. You're wicked, you're lazy, and you're worthless. Put those three words in the comments real quick. Wicked, lazy, worthless. Hmm. Put it in the comments. Wicked, lazy, worthless. What was the man's only offense? Not producing. (laughs) Not producing increase. Wicked, lazy, worthless. (laughs) Write it in. Let it get ingrained in your spirit. This is what God thinks of laziness. When there's a lack of hustle, when there's a lack of diligence. I don't take advice from people that don't produce. I don't take advice from people that don't produce. I look for people that are actually producing a product, a harvest. And if they're not, I really don't care. I mean, you can talk. I'm humble enough to listen to what you have to say. But I don't apply any of that advice in my life. I'm looking for producers, people that are getting things done. Wicked, lazy, worthless. You can see what God thinks of laziness. He calls it wickedness. He calls it worthlessness. Why? Because God, (laughs) every day I'm hustling, Uh, because God is looking for fruit to be produced. Let me give you a reason why. Uh, John 15. If, in case you didn't know this, and I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but you got to catch this. Here's what happens when you abide in Christ. John, 5, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What causes God to get glory? When you bear much fruit. When you do what? When you bear much fruit. When you do what? When you bear much fruit. When you bear much fruit. That's the key. When you bear much fruit, then God gets glory. So that because of the fact he wants the glory, the honor, and the praise, when somebody's lazy and not producing any fruit, what does the Bible say? If we jump back up to verse 15, or not, or chapter 15, and we jump up to uh, verse 5 and 6. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and he's thrown into the fire and burned. Look at verse 2. Talking about the Father. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you look at what this is. God's looking for fruitfulness. And if he doesn't find fruitfulness, he looks at it as wicked and worthless. And so we, we've made up our mind. We'll never be that way. We're hustlers. We're getting it done. If God gives us a project, we're on it. We're not going to lay back. We're not going to be lazy. I've said this before. You need to write it down because this defines who you should follow and who you should emulate. Don't take constructive criticism from people who have never constructed anything. Very important. Don't take constructive criticism from people who have never constructed anything. It's a waste of time. It's a total waste of time. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, why would he choose himself? Because he was the foremost example of what it looked like to live for Christ. Even more than Peter. Paul had to rebuke Peter several times for his hypocrisy. He said, what you're doing is not right. You're presenting the wrong picture of how to live to these uh, Gentile believers. Rebuked him for it to his face, the Bible says. And so Paul said, imitate me to the churches as I imitate Christ. I am an example of fruitfulness. I'm doing what the Lord wants, but now follow the way I do it. And then he said this, and I put this in uh, the book on fasting. He said, I'm going to send you Timothy who's going to come to you and teach you how to live like I live. That's huge. Teach you how to live like I live. And so God's looking for fruitfulness. Well, obviously, if we're getting to this, the benefits are we we ensure that God will lift us higher and promote us. And it ensures that we'll never be looked at as wicked or um, worthless. But then the question becomes, what are some identifiers? Well, I don't think it's that hard to identify laziness, but your fruit speaks for itself. If you're living and there's like no fruit being produced from your life, you can obviously see this is something you need to work on. If, if you never get anything done, if it takes you forever to complete anything, this is obviously something that you need to work on. And uh, you say, well, how can I fix it? How can I make sure most people that are this way, they, they aren't goal setting people. They don't to keep records because here's the thing is if you will do what the Bible says, write the vision, make it plain upon tablets that they may run that read it. If you'll write your goals down and if you'll stay on top of it, break your goals down into bite-sized chunks that you can accomplish and see the progress of how you've been accomplishing your goal. You can see it. I can a clearly define goal. This is what I'm going to do for the Lord. This is what I'm going to get done. You've heard me on the broadcast before uh, talk about SMART goals. If you've never heard me talk about it, then you can uh, just Google it because it's it's a very popular concept. It's an acronym, SMART goals. It defines the types of goals that are effective. You know, they're specific, they're measurable, they're attainable. You go, it's an acronym for all those things. And they'll break it down for you. But uh, uh, why would you not attach that to your godly goals? So you know you're getting them done. So you know where you're at. You say, well, how long is it going to take me? That's the last one, T, time sensitive. How long is it going to take me to accomplish this goal? Am I making progress towards that, that deadline, right? You don't set yourself a deadline. You'll let that thing drift forever out into the future. 
So set goals and make them happen. The Holy Ghost will empower you. God's looking for fruit production. Make it happen. Get it done and watch what the Lord will use you to do. You'll start with something that you thought was big. Later on, you'll realize it was small because God will keep taking you to bigger and bigger and bigger things if he can trust you as faithful. And I want to give it, these, these nine are going to help you. Let me, let me tell you these nine, and I am going to put a book together on this because it needs to be in people's hands and in front of people's face at all times. And, uh, there's so much to teach that I couldn't do more than three each day, but tomorrow and Wednesday, I'm going to give you four, five and six tomorrow. I'm going to give you seven, eight and nine on Wednesday. You don't want to miss these broadcasts because it's going to help define who we are as the victory tribe. Let me pray for those that are watching father. I'm so thankful that you have blessed me with people that are connected to this ministry, the Victory Tribe, that are hungry to go further. They're hungry to go higher. They're hungry to see you move, not only in their lives, but in their churches and in their state, their school, on their job, with their family. They're hungry for the presence of the Lord. So I thank you for every one of these that you've blessed me with. I pray in Jesus' name. That as we're going through your word on these things, that it would cause us to be convicted in our spirit. Yes, that's something I need to get into my life and work on. Yes, I need to correct myself here. I need to humble myself. I need to become more diligent. Whatever it is, whatever it is, I want, Lord, you to convict us today and get us back on track so that we can produce for your kingdom in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that on this Monday, you would supernaturally encourage your people. I pray that you would supernaturally bring an uh, an edification to everybody that's watching. Whatever it is the devil has tried to use to destroy their lives, I rebuke it today in the mighty name of Jesus. From this day, receive fresh virtue and strength into your body and into your life and your mind. Be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you receive it and believe it, throw some fire in the comments section. Let me know you're standing with us today and and you believe God. I'm going to give every one of you an opportunity to sow a seed by faith. You know, we have partners that are joining us every single week. And I want to encourage you. I know the Lord's been dealing with you to stand with us because that's been one of our prayer points to stand with us in partnership and believe God for increase in your own life. We're going to put that lower third there on the screen. You can see how to sow uh, that seed. You can always go to miracleword.com. You can use PayPal and Cash App, Venmo, all of those ways to give. You know where they're at, right there on the website. If you go to MiracleWord.com and click the Give button, you'll see all the ways to give. Zelle is there. and If you're watching on Twitter or Facebook, you can put hashtag donate and so that way. But let me challenge you with something. Let me challenge you to take a step of faith and begin this month partnering with Miracle Word. You say, well, I can't stand at that $85 level yet. I just can't do it. Here's the question. What can you do? Because, you know, we've had people that uh, started at a level that they could afford to start right where their faith could work. It was not long at all until God advanced them to the place where they could stand at the $85 a month, now at $100 a month, some are at $500 a month. But see, here's the key is you ask yourself, what can I do? What can I do? You know, I remember uh, my, my pastor, Bishop Rick, tells about a lady. They were giving something every day. They had set up uh, a system at the church where they were sowing a daily seed. And there were people that were given a dollar a day. Some people were doing more. 
And this lady came up and she was so embarrassed. She said, Bishop, I can't afford to give a dollar a day. He said she was very poor. He said, well, can you give a quarter a day? She said, no, I'm sorry to say I can't even do that. Can't even do a dime a day. He said, well, can you set your faith for a penny a day? And she said, well, I'd be embarrassed to do it. He, she said, don't, he said, don't be embarrassed to do it. And he, and he watched. And she started the penny. And then she started, he started seeing her envelope come in, increasing, a dime, a quarter, a dollar. And she, until God started blessing her, and supernaturally, she was overwhelmed with the blessing of the Lord. Why? She started where she could. She started where her faith was working. So there's people watching today that, you know, you could start at $50 a month, whatever it might be. Then there's others that are watching. The Lord's speaking to you to sow largely. Some of you, the Lord's speaking to you to sow a $1,000 seed, a $5,000 seed, a $10,000 seed for the preaching of the gospel. Obey the, the voice of the Lord, what he's leading you to do. And uh, the Lord will speak to you. And as you're watching, you can see that on the screen. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, you can swipe up to the description and there are links you can click to sow a seed right now. But I want to encourage you to uh, go to miracleword.com, stand with us. Here's what we're going to do. In this month, I started this uh, last week because I felt it was so important. Um, the book by P.C. Nelson, Bible Doctrines. I said, for anybody that's sewing at the level of $50 uh, or more, we're going to send you that book, Bible Doctrines. And then for everybody that's sewing uh, $85 or more in the month of June, we're sending you Brother Hagin's book uh, entitled Keys, Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity. Phenomenal book. There it is. You can see it on the screen. Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity. That's for everybody that's sewing at $85 or more this month. All you got to do is go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and uh, you can fill out the form and you, we know where to send the book to because some of the ways you give, we don't get an address like cash app doesn't give us a mailing address. So we need to know where to send the book. That's how you can do it. Uh, let me say this too. We had brand new kid stuff coming out every week. Last week, you'll, uh, you see that we had this, uh, new Bible study and a new video came out from, uh, Alex and Maddie, I believe is on the armor of God, Ephesians chapter six. You can check it out on the website, miraclewordkids.com. All of it is also on the app, uh, all in one place for your kids. Get the app for your tablet and for your phone, and you can go and binge watch all the content for the kids as well. All of our uh, television broadcasts are on the app, everything, Miracle Word Radio, and it's free. It's free. Just search Miracle Word uh, in your app store and get that app today. It's new and improved. We're just working. You know what I'd like to do in the next app update is I would like it to where our app makes you a cup of coffee. I would love to be able to have that happen. I don't know how we're going to do it, but it, all things are possible to them that believe. Amen. Um, all week, Rowlett, Texas, I should say we're scheduled Sunday through Wednesday, uh, here, Church in the City, uh, if you can't make it, we're outside of Dallas, if you can't make it, join us online. We're live uh, 7 o'clock Central Time. That's 8 o'clock for those of you that are watching on the East Coast. If you turn it on at 7, you're like, where are they? Why aren't they live? It's because there's this thing called time zones. Because of the way the Earth rotates around the sun, it's not always the same time of day everywhere in the world. And so there's Eastern Time on the East Coast, but I'm in Central Time. It's one hour behind. 
And um, <laughs> for anybody that's not aware of time zones. And so that's why if you turn it on at seven on the East Coast and you're like, why aren't they live? It's because it's central. So you got to wait till eight on the East Coast. And uh, But we'd love to have you in person if you're anywhere close. Uh, we've already got to see some people here, and I'm so happy about that. Pastor Wallace and his wife were here last night, people from their church. I got to see my friend Uchenna Wanunu was in the house last night. Aaron uh, Lale was in the house. Got to see a bunch of people yesterday. So happy to see everyone. So we want to see the Victory Tribe this week in person if you can get here. Uh, it's going to be a great week. I'm very, very excited about it. All the details are at MiracleWord.com. How you can get here, the address, the times, all of it. And uh, I would love, love to see you in person. <laughs> Zach Ramsey said, time zones are from the Illuminati. I can't confirm or deny that, but uh, it, it's very possible. He got that on, uh, he probably got that on Wikipedia. Anyway, I love you guys. Thanks for hanging today. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you all again tomorrow and tonight. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.